The year was 1980 when American media proprietor Ted Turner boldly launched the very first 24-hour news channel. CNN was the first. And while I'm sure at the time uh, many questioned the viability of such an idea, I mean, what could you possibly report for 24 hours a day and, and who would possibly watch that? And yet, 35 years later, it turns out, uh, Mr. Turner was onto something. Because joining CNN are an array of other news networks and internet websites, Fox News, MSNBC, Politico, The Drudge Report, Huffington Post, we could go on and on. And then you throw in newspapers like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and I think a pretty good argument can be made that we are living in a time when we have more access to more news more often uh, than any other time in human history. And yet, if you're like me, uh, when you walk away from watching the news, uh, you, you might find yourself bored or disappointed or discouraged or confused. I mean, what, what can we really trust these days to be good, honest, unbiased, trustworthy, helpful news, news that, that actually makes a difference. It was fascinating, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a story in the news cycle that was actually talking about all of these fake news stories in and around the election time. You know, these, these stories that kind of pop up in your Facebook or Twitter feed that actually, it turns out, are intentionally fabricated and then marketed to try, try to elicit a certain response from the readers. And so it's, it's just fascinating. And so with all of that, you might say that more than ever, we are in need of some truly good news. News that's not only encouraging and positive and helpful, but news that, news that we can count on, news that we can trust, news that's reliable, and news that, that actually makes a difference Enter the gospel. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, then you probably know that the word gospel means good news. But what is it that makes this news different from all the other news? Why is it so special? Does it, does it actually do anything? Or like a lot of other news, is it just a pure information download that doesn't really generate any type of response? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you're asking a lot of questions about Christianity and the Christian gospel. You might be wondering why you should sit up and pay attention to this news. If you are a Christian, it's important to ask if the gospel still matters in the Christian life or if the gospel is just something for, for new believers. With these questions, we come to God's word this morning. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 1. Romans 1, uh, we're looking at verses 1 to 6 this morning. If you don't have a Bible or you didn't come with one, no worries, we have them. Uh, we have several. Grab one in the pew rack in front of you, turn over to page 939, and if you don't have a Bible at home, please just take that one with you as you leave. It'll be our gift to you. Uh, we value the scriptures and uh, value your interaction, even as we study God's word together. Romans 1 and 1 to 6. I'll read it out loud, and, and why don't you follow along in your Bibles? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. When was the last time you opened a letter like that? I mean, this is, this is heavy and elaborate, even for the Apostle Paul. This is, this is one sentence. I mean, Paul could have, as he did often in his other letters, started with Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, skipped to verse 7, to all those in Rome, grace to you and peace, and on and on. But he didn't, he didn't do it that way here in this letter. Instead, what he did was added on this elaborate news report a report of news that, that he identifies, you'll notice in verse 1, as God's news. This wasn't his own idea, right? The gospel of God. This wasn't just a, a cheap headline uh, that Paul was peddling to try to get a bunch of likes in his Facebook feed. This was, this was news of a divine nature. And as God's news, uh, I'd like us just to make a few observations throughout the rest of the text that answer a few key questions about this gospel news. Namely, what is it about? What does it do? And who is it for? What is the gospel about? What does it do? Who is it for? So first, what is this news all about? We see very clearly that, that God's news is news from the scriptures about Jesus Christ. The gospel news comes to us through the scriptures and it centers like a laser on the person and work of Jesus. We we see it in verse two. After Paul identifies himself as set apart for this gospel, a slave for it, in fact, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, verse two. Now, this reference to the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, is, of course, a reference to the Old Testament, which I think is fascinating because if you're like me, you very often think about the gospel as a New Testament message. And yet, here Paul is saying that this is a message that comes from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and that adds a lot of color as we think about what the gospel actually is. It shows us first that the gospel is is a consistent and congruent message. The gospel was not... God's plan B that all of a sudden was initiated as soon as the gospel of Matthew starts. It's not as if he set out on one trajectory to rescue his people, got thrown by a few unexpected circumstances, and then at the last minute pulled the the reserve parachute of the gospel. What Paul is saying is that God's plan to rescue the world from their sin and separation from God through the work of his son has always been in view. It's consistent. It's, It's news we can count on. It's also trustworthy. The root of the Old Testament affirms the trustworthiness of the gospel news is news that comes from God himself. We know that it is in fact God's news. It's his story. But it also comes from him because if we believe uh, the scriptures to be the reliable, truthful word of God, then that means we can have a wonderful confidence in the reliability of the gospel. In fact, did you notice the word promise? The gospel is a promised word from God, according to verse 2, a promise that is fulfilled and fully realized in the person of Jesus. And there we have the centerpiece of the gospel, don't we? Jesus himself. We see it in verses 3 and 4, this 
this stunning, frankly, stunning portrait of Jesus. Look at it in verse 3. We read, the gospel of God was concerning his son, right, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so structurally what we have here is we have Jesus, the Son of God, and then Jesus Christ, the Lord, at the top and bottom of verse 3. And then in between and in parallel, the person and, and the stages of Jesus' ministry. So he's on one hand, right, the Christ. He came as a man, the promised Son of David, who lived. He experienced suffering. He experienced loss. And even though he lived a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling God's righteous requirements in the law, he died as a person in weakness and in humility. And yet, on the other side of that, he's also the Lord. And we see the evidence of that lordship in no better place than in the resurrection. The resurrection, a a real hinge point in the ministry of Jesus. We have him as both the son of David, the lamb who was slain, to the Lord who was powerfully and gloriously risen. Now this this laser focus on Jesus also helps us to understand, right, what the gospel isn't. The gospel isn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, even though there's some truth in that. The gospel isn't engage with the culture. It isn't serve the poor and disenfranchised. It isn't lead a good life filled with good works, even though there's truth in all of those things. But the essence of the gospel, if we want to get it right, is the person and work of Jesus. John Calvin says to move even a step from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. This means that Jesus is the headline of this news. Every story has a headline, and Jesus is the headline of the gospel news. Now, if you were to pull up uh, CNN or Fox News on your smartphone right now, Uh, you'd probably not see Jesus as the centerpiece or the the headline. It would be another person. Who would it be if you pulled up your phone right now? Yes, it would be our our president-elect, Donald Trump, understandably. What's going to be accomplished in the first hundred days? Who's going to fill out the, the rest of the executive cabinet and leadership? And perhaps most importantly, which celebrities will be fleeing the country next? These are, these are important, important things. Uh, what's also, though, been interesting to observe across the election cycle is the way in which uh, some, uh, even Christians, have given the president-elect a headline position in God's agenda. It's been fascinating to me. I had someone in our church forward me a, a a podcast, a Christian podcast, that featured a man saying things like, Donald Trump is God's chosen instrument to restore blessing to our country. I've heard other comments and remarks like, Trump is God's man. God's man. Now, we know certainly that that God in his sovereignty appoints and uses world leaders uh, to accomplish his purposes, We know that God in his common grace has established human government to promote good and to punish evil. We know that we should pray for our leaders. But as it relates to God's news, friends, we've got to get one thing really straight. God's man, his man, is the Lord Jesus Christ and no other. 
And while Jesus may not be the headline uh, of the nightly news tonight, he is most certainly the headline of God's news, the gospel. And this is something that we can never stop learning. You might be here this morning and, and Chris, I've heard the gospel all my life. I know it. I really don't need to hear it anymore. My caution to you would be the minute that we feel like we've heard the gospel enough is really the minute that we need to hear it again. And so to that end, I I just would like to, by way of application, commend a little book to you. It's called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. It's a short, accessible little book. We have it available out in the lobby. So as you're out checking out and meeting the kids and talking to Sean and Ashley, uh, we were able to get this book for $7, and we're just going to pass that along. I would highly, highly recommend you pick up a copy, read it over Thanksgiving. You could read it in just a couple of hours. It will really help uh, tether you to this idea of what the gospel is really all about. So we've covered that at length. What is it about? It's God's news from the scriptures about Jesus. But we haven't really touched this question about what the gospel does. Does it actually produce anything? Well, the Apostle Paul answers with a resounding yes. The gospel is also God's news that produces the obedience of faith. This divine news brings about the obedience of faith. We see it in verse 5. Paul gives us this very clear portrait of Jesus. Uh, And then he says, this is Jesus through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. I don't know about you, but when I think of the book of Romans, I I tend to think of a deep, rich, sometimes hard to understand theological treatise. But this little phrase tells us that, that the book of Romans is more than just an apologetic on justification by faith. It's actually extremely pragmatic in the sense that that the gospel of Romans, the gospel that Martin Luther calls the purest gospel, does something. It produces the obedience of faith. And this is not just a little anecdote uh, that Paul throws in. If you'd flip to the end of this letter, you'd see that Paul mentions the exact phrase again from Romans 16. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ to bring about, you guessed it, the obedience of faith. Now, it's fair to ask at this point, it's it's an interesting phrase, what does Paul mean when he says this? What's he talking about when he says the obedience of faith? Very often we hear about obedience in the Bible and we hear about faith, but what is is this phrase? Is Is he talking about obedience that proceeds from faith, the obedience that follows faith, or is he saying faith is obedience, the essence of obedience? Well, to answer, we might say that that faith and obedience are really two sides to the same coin as it relates to our salvation. Uh, I've got a quarter here, and on this quarter, uh, you can't see it, but you can take my word for it, I've got uh, George Washington's head on one side, right, the head side, and then on the other side, I've got uh, buffalo, buffalo, buffaloes, there's two of them, it's a North Dakota quarter, there's two two buffalo, just buffaloes. In either case, uh, you couldn't say that, that these two sides of the coin are identical, right? They are different and distinct. But on the other hand, you also couldn't split them up. I mean, if I want to use this to buy something, couldn't buy much, but if I wanted to buy something, I, I couldn't separate these two sides of the coin. And so in that sense, they are distinct, but they're inseparable. This is kind of what Paul is after here. On one hand, faith really is the essence of obedience, and and on the other hand, faith is distinct in that it it drives our obedience. So distinct but inseparable. I wonder if if that's the way that you think about the Christian life. 
this kind of interplay, this dance between faith and obedience. I mean, I think it's, it's honest enough to say that, that all of us are probably wired to emphasize one, perhaps to the extent of the other. So maybe you're here this morning and, and you'd say, listen, I'm the type of person who just is resolute in my trust in the sufficient work of Jesus to bring me back into a relationship with God, but, but maybe you're, you're struggling to see the, the outworking of that in some particular ways, whether it's in your marriage or in the way you handle your finances or in the way you manage your relationships. Or maybe you're on the other side and you would say, you know, listen, I'm driven by good works. I love to, to serve the Lord. I love to be busy in ministry. Uh, but the platform that I'm standing on, if I'm honest, uh, may be a platform of kind of religious motivation or self-justification rather than the grace of God uh, demonstrated by faith in Jesus. And so this, this passage, this part of the passage, the obedience of faith, is a great time to reflect on those things uh, and to, to recognize this this two-sided obedience of faith uh, that Paul is talking about. Something to think about as you play with your, uh, your loose change, uh, the obedience of faith. So this is what the gospel does. It does something, changes us. We also covered what the gospel is. It's God's news from the scriptures about Jesus. But the big question that we've really got to answer this morning as wonderful as that news is, that forgiveness is possible, that peace with God is possible, that reconciliation is possible, who is this message really for? Who is it for? And the answer to this question is really the climax of the passage, and that's that this news, God's news, is news with a glorious global headline. This headline news is for the entire world. Paul is just continuing, he's plodding along very logically here in his train of thought. You look down in the middle of verse 5. He's talking about the grace that he's received to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. All the nations. That is a massive statement, especially as we think about it contextually, because one of the biggest questions in the first century church was this issue of gospel scope and gospel identity. Specifically, who was the gospel for, and then how did all of those people translate into the, the corporate people of God? So was Christianity going to be just an offshoot uh, or a subdivision of Judaism? And, and the non-Jewish Christians, would they then be required to, to adhere and to practice some of the Jewish ceremonial requirements like circumcision and others? I mean, these are these are questions not only for then, but also for now. I love what John Stott says in response. This is great. He describes in Romans the redefinition of the people of God. No longer according to descent, circumcision, or culture, but according to faith in Jesus. He goes on to say, we too, if we're to be committed to world mission, have to be liberated big word, liberated from all pride of race, nation, tribe, caste, and class, and acknowledge that God's gospel is for everybody, without exception and without distinction. That is a heavy claim. Especially as we think about it in relationship to all the conversations that we have had here in our church in the last few months about the need to pray for our country. We're promoting prayer meetings that focus in on uh, this, this nation, the United States of America, talking about the, the need in our roundtable to engage regularly in thoughtful, 
God-honoring conversations and, and, and so on and so on. And all of that emphasis has been justified in light of where we're at uh, in our country's history. But as we do these things, we also have got to hear the reminder from Romans 1 that we, as affluent, influential, wealthy, certainly in comparison to the rest of the world, Americans, do not own the gospel. We don't own the exclusive rights to this news. The gospel is a global message with a global mission to a global audience. And that means that we really need to be honest in guarding against a kind of nationalism gone wild. Not patriotism, but nationalism gone wild that supplants our primary identity as Christians and our primary mission to make disciples not only of those people who fit nicely into our common racial, social, and economic box, but of every nation. And in this sense, the gospel really is the great leveler, isn't it? I mean, it levels. It's the best argument and worldview for, levering, for leveling racial, social, national prejudices. Wipes them out because this news says that every person is made in the image of God and every person has inherent value. That every person has fallen away from God by their rebellious choices and nature. That every person is in need of the same grace of God as Americans. We don't need less of God's grace. That every person that trusts in Jesus will be saved. And that every person that is saved is brought into this universal, global family called the church a kingdom that is ruled by Christ himself. Now that's, a, that's a challenging way to think about the gospel, especially at this stage in our country. But if Stott has it right, that we actually have to be liberated, set free from all pride of race, nation, tribe, caste, and class, and acknowledge that the gospel is for everybody, and I think he does get it right, then the result is not only global, it's glorious. Did you catch it in verse 5? The gospel to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And here is the ultimate goal and driver of global gospel ministry. The global glory of Jesus. The more I thought about that this week the more amount of conviction I came under, even as a pastor. Is that really, the glory, the global glory of Jesus, what is driving us in the Christian life? Is it what drives our gospel conversations? Is it what drives our giving, whether it's the Old North and the dozens of ministry partners that we support, whether it's individually to missionaries and to gospel partners, is that the driver, the global glory of Jesus, or, or is it more of a, a personal desire to feel accomplished in ministry? Or maybe it's to, to scratch that, that philanthropic itch that we get around the holiday season, right? It's Christmas, so we have to be generous. Or is it the global glory of Jesus? amazing about this passage is that the benefits of the gospel as news with a global headline is that there's another outcome. 
and that outcome is our good. It's amazing. Verse 6, you've got to see it. Look at verse 6. The gospel for all people, for all nations, to bring about the global glory of Jesus, Paul says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As big and as universal and as global as this passage is, it's also very small and very intimate and very particular, including you. Now, the immediate context here, of course, is the Roman Christians, the Roman church that Paul's writing to. But if we follow the universal logic of what Paul is saying here, then you and I are part of the nations. Very often we read a passage like this and we want to be Paul, the great evangelist. We want to apply ourselves to Paul. And, and there's some, some truth in that. We certainly want to be a slave for the gospel. We want to faithfully communicate it. It's a message from the scriptures about Jesus to bring about the obedience of faith. And yet, where we really are in this passage is in the nations. Had a nationalistic Judaism won the day in the first century, friends, Christianity would still be a Middle Eastern religion. So we are the glorious beneficiaries of this gospel with a global headline. And so all this talk about the global gospel shouldn't scare us. It should make us enthusiastic. It should cause us to pause and rejoice that God in his kindness sees fit to establish for himself a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. The gospel is God's news with a glorious, glorious global headline. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for seeing fit to include us as part of your people. We pray that you would forgive us for thinking that we own the market on the gospel, for perhaps neglecting the global scope of this message for getting off track in the content of the gospel, that you would forgive us for not being transformed and changed in an ongoing way by this gospel. And I pray today that much, much glory would come to your son by this opportunity to just, just refocus our attention on the fact that yours is a universal and global kingdom. Jesus is the king of all. And I pray that we would see that realized even as we think about the fact that he is, he is the king of each one of us individually and that you would help us express the gospel more faithfully today, uh, more consistently, eagerly, and that we would do so knowing that, that it really is a, a piece of news with a, a global headline. And for that, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.